All right. Week two, we are week two of our Money God series. If you guys missed it last week, uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. This series has been uh, surprising for me. It's, you know, I've found the more I've, I've studied, the more I've prayed about it, it's almost like it's catching me off guard as I go through it. I'm like, wait, it's not supposed to take us here. Ooh, that one hurts, and that stings a little bit, you know. But uh, I, I think if we're able to really embrace it and to, uh, you know, allow the Word of God to have its way, I think it's going to bring some freedom for us in our lives. Um, before we jump into it, some good news for you guys. We have one more week this week of a little bit of painful scripture, okay? But next week will be a lot funner, okay? Funner, okay? It'll be a lot lighter and easier, okay? So next week, we're going to cover prosperity. So everyone come next week, okay? And everyone who was here last week didn't come back this week because it hurt last week, didn't it? Was it painful for anyone else last week? Anybody? I can see a lot of you guys weren't here for that then because you would raise your hand. All right, let's jump into it. If you guys missed the first week of the series, here's what you need to know. When you think money, I want you to think of this definition. Money is, money is the power to secure freedom, fulfillment, and future. Okay, when you think money, when I talk money in this series, think of this definition. Money is the power to secure freedom, fulfillment, and future. Think about spending power, right? You know... Say if you were to get $1 billion, okay, the first things that you would do is you would quit your job, you'd pay off all your debts, you would put yourself in a position where you could do whatever you wanted, right? Freedom, right? Make sense? The next step we would do is we would use that money to make sure that we are fulfilled, meaning we would fill whole. So if I don't have that car I want, I'm going to use that power, that money to get the car I want. If I don't have the house I want, if I don't live where I want, if my kids don't go to the schools they want, I'm going to make sure that I get fulfillment from my money. So money is the ability to fill the needs and the holes in our lives. Lastly, if you had $1 billion, you would make sure that your future is secure. You would put money away in savings. You'd, you would invest in something you get insurance on your life and for your children. So you know, just in case anything bad happened, their future would be secure. Money is the power for us to make sure that we have our freedom, fulfillment, and future. Now, that sounds really good. But there's one thing that we have to understand. As we talk about money, we have to understand that we live, we live in a fallen world. We understand that in the garden what took place is we had everything that we could ever want. But the one thing that we were told not to touch, we chose to touch. And so from that moment, what happened was we, we have a God who created the entire universe. He creates us, and he gives us authority. He gives us the rule of this place. And because of our sin, we choose to give the rule, the authority to Satan. And now that he's in control, he gets to dictate the way that things work. And the one thing that you need to understand is this. When God was in control, you were created primarily for one thing to be. You were created to exist. Think about that. He creates the garden, he creates everything in the garden, and then he comes, and the entire picture we get is that it is all about us being able to experience everything he gives us with him. And after he establishes the importance of us enjoying and taking in and being with him and being here and being with each other, then he begins to give us the joy of work. 
And he creates responsibilities and tasks, which comes into rulership. And that's when he begins to tell us to subdue the earth. And in essence, we are given stewardship. And so now, because of our relationship with God, now we are given a job to do. But the job is always second to relationship. Does that make sense? And so what happens next is whenever the earth is handed over through our sin to Satan, now he wants to take this and he wants to flip it the other way around. And so what happens after the garden is we've learned that everything that we get, we must toil for. Everything that's going to happen, the, the analogy that's used here with God to Adam and Eve is he tells them, it starts with childbirth. Childbirth will not be easy for you anymore. Ladies, I'm sorry. Here you go. It will not be easy. There will be toil and struggle and risk involved. And then he speaks to Adam. He says, from now on, when you begin to work the earth, you will have to toil and strive. You must work your butt off for everything that you get because from now on, nothing in this world is free. Has anyone ever told you that? Nothing in this world is free? Does that make sense? Everything in this world used to be free. Every single thing on this planet started out as a gift. Nothing had strings attached to it. Everything was free. But now that this place has come under new management, now that the authority, the one who rules and controls, the one who sets the rules for how things work, he has now turned things over. And now this world is run by work. It's run by money, by owing. And so the way that money works is, if I have something of value, if I have money, and you have something that I value, the way that I get it is I exchange. If you have something I want, then I can get something that you want. And we can just begin to make this back and forth. Again, everything has strings attached to it, right? Right? Okay, okay good. All right, all right. So everything has a string attached to it. The closest thing we experience on this world to something free is something called love. And even love takes much toil and work. Amen? Everyone who's married? Yeah, it's not easy. It doesn't just happen. You don't just see the person. We're set for life. There's much work involved in love. And so what happens here is there's been a transition. This world is now run with this need for us to have money. We cannot survive. We cannot have the things we need. We cannot have the things we want without having money. And to have money, I must do what? I must strive for it. Does that make sense? Because again, no one's going to give it to me. I have to strive and work and effort. My mind, my emotions, my body, my time must now be devoted to working. But in the garden, my mind, my body, and my time were devoted to who? To God and to each other, which is a beautiful thing. And so now what happens is you have Jesus who comes in and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at near, meaning there is an army coming and this force is going to retake the authority in this world. And now God is going to make things the way he wants them to be. So now he's going to turn things back to the way that they were. And so it's difficult for us as as Christians is that we have this challenge of living in the kingdom, meaning living the way that it is in heaven on the earth, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here as it is in heaven. And one of the primary places this takes place is our wrestling with money. And so the passage we talked about in the book of Matthew last week where Jesus, he says, you cannot serve both God and what? Money. 
and you say of all the things you cannot serve both God and work or God and sin or God and lust or God and envy or God and pride of all the different sins why did he pick this thing that doesn't seem to be even bad by itself but what happens is the word he used for it the Aramaic word he slips in there it's actually from Babylon and what happens is when he says money he gives money a face he personifies it he makes money a person he calls it mammon And so when he calls it mammon, he's saying that this thing is not just a thing. This thing has motives. This thing has a will. And this thing is at work. This thing is not just dead and something that's handed off. This is something that has its own schemes. It's up to no good. In the same way that you can follow me, you can also follow mammon. And so what we see is that we see that because this world is now being ruled by Satan, one of his his servants is mammon. It's, this, it's this, this force on the earth that forces us, that it, it, it oppresses us. It is, its entire purpose is to keep us so busy doing, so busy working, so busy striving, so busy trying to have all the things we need in this life that we are so consumed that there's no way for us to be freed up to be with God. Does that make sense? The goal of Satan is to keep us so busy doing and working and striving having our lives have strings attached to everything that we need and we want, that there's no way we can cut those strings to be with God first. And so this is kind of the setting that we have to come to before we jump into things this week. I want to make sure it didn't, uh, didn't lose anything. And so what happens here is you have to understand this. All things spiritual have to do with will. Did you hear me on that? All things spiritual, meaning all things that are eternal, all things that God is concerned about are are centered on one thing, will. When you think of will, your will is what you truly, deeply desire in the innermost part. Not what you say, not even some of the thoughts you think. Your will is what, if you were to just open up yourself and be as honest as you could possibly be in that moment, whatever it is you truly desire, is your will. That is what you want to take place. And so what's really, what's really going on in this place is that money becomes the ultimate battleground in our hearts. It becomes the constant temptation to choose his will or to choose our will. What you need to understand about the garden is that we had everything. He had given everything to us freely. He said, he said, everything you see is yours except for one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what you have to understand is this. What he was saying is this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, is the ability to judge, right? Whenever you judge, you say, this is good, this is bad. This is right, this is wrong. So the knowledge of good and evil is not just knowledge, it's the ability to judge. It's the ability to determine what is good and what is wrong. What that tree signified was God's place as God. He was saying, I've given you everything. The only thing that I've reserved for myself is that I alone am God, and you must acknowledge that. If you would just let me keep my role in this creation in your life, if you would allow me to be king, if you allow me to direct you, to instruct you, and to tell you what is good and what is bad, everything else is yours for free. 
And of course, what Satan was able to tempt us with, he's able to tempt us into believing that somehow God was holding out. Somehow we needed more. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, yeah, the, the house is great, the living room is great, but my TV, that 50-inch, you know, it looks good. But, you know, sometimes you just want a little more. 70-inch, you know, nice to have an HD TV, but you know now, they got ultra high definition now. UHD, honey. It's the new thing on the block. UHD. And you know what? It's okay. I just want a little more. And if you look at this in almost every um, area of your life, in your marriage, in your relationship, the way, that, the way that it starts with an affair is you, you're, you're content that there's something going on, there's a relationship, but there's this sneaking whisper. You know what? Maybe you need just a little bit more. Maybe there's just something better over there. This, this foundational lie is at the root of all of our struggles with obeying God. Because what happens is, Satan, he dangles the power for us to have what we want. He dangles the ability for us to have the life that we want it, when we want it, to make things look the way that we want them to look. And the reason that money, the reason that mammon is such a dangerous thing is because if we would become allies, if we would say, all right, all right, all right money, I will pursue you because if, if I can just have money on my side, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just have one billion dollars, then my life would be the way that I want it to be. Because money is the power for us to have control over our lives, to have our will be done. 9er, 9er. Uh, sorry. I just can't let stuff like that go, you know. It's just right there. So then you have Jesus, and he says, okay, so if anyone follow after me, why don't you pick up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow me. Which sounds a lot like you can have all the freedom you want. It's going to be tons of fun, you know, because crosses are just like playgrounds. That's really all they are, you know. And your future is so secure because, again, you know, you're dying every day. So it looks great. And so when you're sitting here and, and you're choosing, okay, do I fully sell out to Jesus. Look at what he's offering me. I have no control over my freedom because, again, I'm following. I don't have any control over what makes me happy because I'm denying myself daily. And I have no clue where I'm going to end up because he tells me I get to die all the time. And I don't even get to see heaven until I'm there. Imagine buying a house like without ever seeing it. Do you have any pictures? <laughs> no. Nope. But over here with this hand, with money, he says, hey, if you come with me, if you spend your energy and your time and your life holding my hand, your life can look however you want to look. I'll give you all the control you want. You can live wherever you want to live, do whatever you want to do. It's all in your hands. You can fill the holes in your life with anything you want. New car, new spouse, new job, new title. In your future, you know what? I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about the future because we're going to have you set. 
So, with this being the stage, let's go ahead and jump into this week. Are you guys ready for this week? You guys are like, oh no, that was just week one. Okay, terrific. All right, stay with me today because uh, these things are not difficult for us mentally. These things are difficult for us in our hearts. And it's a ride that we have to... What happens with Scripture? Scripture is like a bronco. It will break us every time. We will not break it. It will break us. And what's difficult with the Scriptures is just how long will you hold on to it? How long will you allow it to shake you? Because it's painful sometimes. But what happens with this is it's in the brokenness that we are, we are able and willing to obey God. And of course, and that is healing and fullness and, and all those good things. But the stage we're at this morning is where we have to be willing to embrace and hold on to the scriptures and allow them to take us for a ride. So, without further ado, if you're taking notes, this week, here's the title. The Temptation of Tithing Christianity. The Temptation of Tithe Christianity. Now, of course, we have some people go, I've been tithing my whole life. What are you talking about? Now, we're not talking about the actual tithe. We're talking about what the tithe is about. Understand that what the tithe was about was not about the money. It was always about what the money is connected to. Because, again, until Jesus returns, money is connected to something. Nothing has, everything has strings attached to it, okay? And so what the tithe was always about was about connecting the heart to God. But there is a temptation that comes with tithing that we're going to talk about. And it's created an entire mentality of how we relate to God, which isn't natural. I'm going to start this morning with a quote. If you guys look up on the screen, here's a quote for you guys. The kingdom of self, it is heavily defended territory. Post-Eden, Adams and Eves are willing to pay their respects to God, but they don't want him invading their turf. The kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. Post-Eden, that's all of us, Adam and Eve were willing to pay their respects to God, but they don't want him invading their turf. Think about that for a second. Understand the scriptures, when, when Jesus is talking about kingdoms, there is an assumption that each one of us has our kingdom. We have a small sphere where we have control over what takes place in it. And so the entire understanding of this, this teaching of kingdom is that we would submit our kingdoms, that we would surrender our lives to Jesus, that we would surrender the crown of being kings of our lives, and we would hand that crown over to the true king, to Jesus. And so everything that takes place in our lives spiritually is about our will, because that is the ultimate battleground. It's not about the words you say or the few actions you do or, or, or the few things you don't do. It's all about where those actions come from. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to start in Genesis 28. So whenever I was preparing, I just got completely thrown off. I had uh, some different scriptures I wanted to start with and things I wanted to to teach this out of, and I really just kind of last second had a curveball come at me, and I thought, I think I'm supposed to teach this from, from the life of Jacob. Okay, if you guys have not been in Sunday school your entire lives, which if you didn't, there's good and bad to that, do you know the story of Jacob? We have Abraham, Isaac, and then 
Jacob, right? Now, Jacob, who here knows what the word Jacob means? Hmm? Usurper. I love that. Yes. Okay, here we go. Here's the name for Jacob means, okay? It means trickster, supplanter, heel grabber. In the modern English, manipulator, striver. Now, his story starts out very interesting. His father Isaac has two sons. He has his Jacob and he has Esau. And, of course, the firstborn is Esau. And, of course, as you guys know in that culture, the firstborn is the one who gets all the good stuff. Okay, so here comes out the firstborn, comes Esau, and Jacob comes out. And literally, he's not even out of the womb yet. And he's grabbing his brother's heel, which is how he got the name. Heel grabber, okay? He is not willing, you know, to, yeah, okay. We'll open it up. And so his very name is trickster, meaning simply put this, that, that he is willing to do whatever it takes to be first. He's, he's going to get his. And so we see this play out. We see when he gets older, when it's time for his father to hand out the blessings, again, the idea is that from the portion, from, from the inheritance of his father, the idea is that he, because he's a second born, will get a small cut. And his brother gets the big cut. Does that make sense with the pie? So his brother gets six pieces. He's going to get one piece. So he's not, he's not happy with one piece. So what he does is he goes into his father's uh, room. His father's very sick. He's blind. And so what takes place is his brother is a hairy, hairy man. So to trick his father, he gets the, you know, the hair of animals, puts it on, on, his, on his arms. He goes in there, and his father asks him a question. He says, who is it? And he responds, Esau. This is crucial in the story. Who is it? And he responds with his brother's name. He tricks his, his father. He gets the inheritance he wants. And, of course, he sets out to go have his own life because he can't stay there. Because if he stays there, his brother's going to find out what he did, and there will be hell to pay for it. So we pick up here in chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. This is a picture of the tithing mentality with God. What this is about, and again, it's beyond just tithing with your money. When we get to a place where we how do I best explain this? The tithing mentality is this. It's that if I would just give God this much, then he'll leave me alone and I get to do with the rest what I want. If I would just give him his 10%, if I would just honor him or respect him, whatever, you know, if I could find a way to appease God with this much, then I get to do what I want with the rest of it. If I would just find a way to come to church once a week, then I get to do what I want the rest of the week. If I find a way to give God this much of my check, then I get to spend the rest of the check on that 70-inch TV I want. Makes sense. Okay. Now, the heart of the tithe was that it was always supposed to, to remind the person and the people that everything was God's and that everything came from God. The entire heart of tithing was the opposite of what it created. In the same way with the law, the law was supposed to show the people that they needed God and that really there's there nothing that they could do apart from him, but it did the opposite. It taught them how to be competent on themselves. They began to live their lives where all they needed to do was, if I would just do these things, God's happy with me, and he'll stay over there, and I'll stay over here. I can have my kingdom, and he can have his kingdom. He gets to choose what happens in heaven, but I get to choose what happens here, right? 
the real world, right? And so what this is, is this has become a, a relationship. We have, been, we have learned a way to just give God just enough that he won't bother us, he won't mess with us, he, he won't tell us to go to Africa and sell everything we own. I mean, you know, he'll just keep his distance. You get to be God right there, and I get to have my life the way I want to have my life. And so the tithing mentality is finding a way to keep God over there so that we can stay in control. What the tithing mentality is, it's a way that we get to stay eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we are not willing to give up control over our lives. Are you hearing me this morning? So we will do whatever it takes to get what we need from God without letting him be God in our lives. Does that hit home this morning? And so we will find ways to, to not do this or to do this, to come to church, to pay my tithe, to not be a bad husband, to try to do my best, but I still get to control the rest. If I just give God what he wants, then I get to have what I want. If you guys have read the Gospels of Jesus, what did Jesus want? Everything. If you would follow after me, you must hate who? You must hate your mother and your father. You must, you must leave everything for my sake. But how does that work? I, so I have to give you everything? Genesis 28. So we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 12. So he's on his way out. He's about to go meet his, his, his family where he's going to find his wife. And what is about to happen for Jacob, he's about to go down... A, a, a long path of finding ways to get what he wants by striving for it, by tricking for it, by deceiving people. So here we go. In verse 12, what starts with this is, it says, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. Pause there for a second. Anytime you see this symbolism, there's a big deal about it, okay? It says, so here's the stairway to heaven. And, of course, heaven is a source of resources and blessing and favor. That's what, that's what it's a picture of. And, of course, at the top of this ladder, who's standing there? God is standing there, right? And it says what? And the one standing there is the Lord. And, and then he says what? He says, I am the Lord. Understand, this is crucial. He's making a very important part, point. He is saying Who's God? He's saying, Jacob, you are God of your life. I'm just here to help you. No? Man, guys, come on. Help me out this morning. Here we go. Okay. All right, Devin, we get it. He's God. Okay. I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So when Jacob awoke from the sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other in the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So he wakes up the next morning, 
He took the stone, he placed it under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, poured the oil onto it. He called it the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And of course, there's, there's meaning to all this. Here's the part I really want to get to. This is what a tithing relationship with God looks like. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. The tithing mentality always has an if and a then. Did you guys catch that? If he's with me on whose journey? My journey. Then what? Then he's my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, hidden in there is if you give me, then what? I will give you a cut. A tenth. This kind of summarizes what this approach is. It's this entire idea that we are the ones who are setting our course, we're on our lives, and you know what? Sure, God, if you do these things for me, I will respond this way. The problem with the tithing mentality is it is so concerned with what it gets from God. He didn't say, if you're with me on my journey and everything goes to poop and I don't get anything I want and I get attacked and I get robbed, then I'll give you 10%. He says, no, if everything goes well, then you will be my God and I'll give you the 10th. Here's some things I want you guys to understand about this, okay? When you are, when we're talking about the tithing mentality, here's what it is. You get 10% and I get the rest. We give, that, we give that cut to God. The portion he gets, okay, we'll take this piece out, and I get to take the rest. And what this is is very simple. We choose to acknowledge God, but retain the power to control our freedom, fulfillment, and future. Did you get that? We do just enough, but we're unwilling to hand over the future, the control over our freedom, fulfillment, our future. What this tithing mentality is, it is us trying to hold Jesus' hand and the hand of money, the hand of mammon. It's us saying, yes, you're Lord, but I'm still Lord too. You might be the God of the universe, but surely I get to determine what I do with my afternoon, right? Surely I get to choose where I move and where I work and what I do and how I, which TV I want to buy. Surely you can have all the, the universe and the cosmos, but just leave my living room alone. It, it, it's funny, but man, it's going to start hurting, I promise. Okay. It, here we go. Here's the next thing about it. It says, I obey because of what you do for me. When we have this this relationship with God where we are unwilling to give up control of our lives. It says, I will do what you ask of me if it benefits me. Did you hear what I said? I will do what you want if there's something in it for me. I'll give you your cut, but what do I get out of it? Where's my cut? You have to understand something. Pre-Christ... The tithe was about prosperity. 
post-Christ, the tithe is about sacrifice. In Christ, Christ is now, he is the portion. The cut that we get from God is not on this earth. The cut that we get from God is his very own son. And so now everything that I do for God is not for anything that I get in this world. Everything I do for God is what he gave me in the ultimate gift, the ultimate cut of value. The cut that I get is Jesus. He is my portion. Here's the next thing. When we get in this relationship with God, we're unwilling to give over control of our lives. We say, I am blessed because of what I have done. It says, if I keep doing the right things, if I keep tithing, if, if I keep going to church, if I keep doing the right things, if I keep, you know, not sinning too badly, you know, if, if I keep feeling bad when I sin, if I keep doing these things, which we call those things what? Well, works. If I keep doing these things, then God will keep blessing me. What does that look like? We are operating under the rules and the foundations of Satan. If I would strive and work and do, then I get rewarded. Are you seeing this? And remember, pre-Christ, this is exactly how things worked. If I would just work and do and I just try my best and I, and I obey God and all these things he tells me to do, if I strive and work and toil, then I get the rewards of it. If I keep doing the right things, if I just do enough things, if I make the right actions, if we begin to get right back into the trap of the enemy. Have you guys ever noticed what happens to your life when you get so consumed with doing things for God? You lose track of God altogether? Have you guys ever got so consumed with trying not to do something bad that you end up forgetting why you were trying not to do something bad? There's just time for me, probably three or four years ago, with tithing. And again, uh, with the tithe, that's something that I do. I, I still practice tithing, but I do it with a different mentality. I understand the heart behind it. And there's time three or four years ago, I asked myself, why do I even tithe anymore? I mean, I understand the scriptures. You know, I understand why I was doing it, but why do I really do it? The truth was, because he tells me to. It's what he wants. It's the cut he wants in my life which is completely missing the point. Now, I want to take you guys, I want to fast forward you guys. Go with me, Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Now, what's transpired here in a few years, well, I say a few, few years, I think it's about 20 years, what happens with Jacob is he finds a very, very wealthy man who has daughters, and he finds that he likes one of the daughters. He has an eye for one of the ladies, okay? okay. So what he does is he's here, he, he's been working. He has his inheritance from his father, which he stole. So he's doing pretty well, but he wants more. He doesn't have enough. Again, there's that lie under there. So he has been working very hard to get more. And so what he's been doing to get more is he's been trying to do everything that this, this man wants, but he's also been manipulating. He's been finding a way to get all of the best livestock into his herds. He's been cheating this person. He's been striving. So what happens here 
is, you know, he goes through all this stuff, and of course, what happens is, you know, he begins to reap what he sows, right? He, he begins to deceive his father-in-law, and of course, his father-in-law begins to deceive him. He works all these years for this one daughter, Rachel, but he goes to bed to find his, his new wife, and of course, the father slipped in the other daughter, the ugly daughter. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, the guy's been working like, you know, for years. Yes, the pretty one. Nope. So happens when you drink. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Joke. No legalism in here. Okay. Anyways, he gets stuck with the ugly girl. He's upset. And again, because, you know, again, he's in this, he's in the system and, and he's, he's now beginning to reap what he's sown. And so now he has to work for more years. He finally gets the woman he's after, but now he has to trick his father-in-law again. And so now he, he's, he's fleeing his father-in-law and now he's, he's, he's got word that now his brother has found out where he lives. His brother's not happy, okay? And so now his brother is now on his way to, to catch him, to beat him, whatever you want to call it, okay? And his father-in-law is behind him. He is trapped in between the two. So now, Jacob, he finds himself in a place to where his freedom, his fulfillment, and his future are in jeopardy. And so his answer for this is what? Money. So what he does is, he gets this idea, he says, okay, I've got lots of wealth. I've been working my butt off, and so I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to protect my, my freedom, fulfillment, and freedom, and future. Sorry, they're all F words. It throws me off. With my money. And so what he does is he takes all his servants, his livestock, his wives, his children, and he creates these, these rows, these lines of them, and he sends them out ahead of him. And he sends everything that he owns, his money, ahead to handle this problem he is facing. And so we come to a place here where he is about to send his wives and his children across. And so now he's about to be utterly alone. So in essence, everything this man has strived for, because he's a hard worker. I'll, I'll just tell you that. There's no one in this room who, who would be outworking Jacob. Okay, he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't take time off. He was working. He was making it happen. But everything that he had gained could not change the situation he faced. All of his power, all of his money, everything that he thought had value could not fix this situation. When he met Esau, he was going to die. He knew it. And so he is now left in a place, he's alone, he's by himself, and he's now having to wrestle with, okay, what do I do? I've spent my entire life trying to build the life that I want. I've been trying to get what's mine and now I'm about to lose everything. How do I get out of this situation? And, and so here's where we find him. Uh, chapter 32, verse 22. It says, That night, Jacob got up. He took his two wives, his two maidservants, his sons, and crossed the ford, uh, the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Stop right there. If you notice there, in verse 23, he had sent across all of his, what? Possessions. Everything that he had. Everything in this world that gave him power and control, he has already lost it. He's had to give it up. And now he is left alone with no power with no control over his future. Here comes this random guy, by the way. And so this guy shows up, 
and he, he starts to wrestle with him. I mean, he, you can just imagine with Jacob, he's not in a good mood. I mean, like, would you be happy? You know, and like some random guy shows up, starts wrestling with you. I'm sure he's like, let's get it on. You know, so anyways, they're, they're wrestling and they're fighting. And uh, we believe that, you know, if it was an angel or, or, you know, regardless, the entire picture here is that God has shown up. Okay, he's finally come to a place where he's been stripped of all of his power. He has no ability to protect himself or to control his future. He is vulnerable and broken. And that's exactly when God shows up. Sound familiar? Should. It's when he wants to show up with us as well. And so, here's the, here's the wrestling. Uh, he wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it, it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Pause right there. Now, we understand it's God who's wrestling with Jacob. Do you believe Jacob could beat God Greco-Roman style? I mean, like, do you think that he's like, just like got Jesus pinned? Like, oh, you're not getting, I mean, picture it. Okay, fathers, when you wrestle with your boys, okay, when they're younger, you know, like, oh, no, you got me, right? Okay, that's what's happening. He hasn't really pinned God, okay? Make sense? Don't take it face value. And so, you know, he hasn't beat God, but God's like, oh, no, you got me. Let me go. It's daybreak. You strong guy, you, you know. And again, you know, if Jacob was so strong, you know, how come this guy could just, you know, put his old man hip out of place with a touch? He's like, oh, no, you're beating me. Oh, you're, you're, you know, your hip's out of socket now. Oh, no, you got to quit, you know. Again, it's God, okay? understand that. Okay, here we go. Uh, so here's Jacob. He says, I will not let go unless you bless me. And, and, and here's why. Because he had what? Nothing. And at this point, he's realized. He's realized now, I'm wrestling not with a man. I'm wrestling with God. Here's what God asked him. So the man asked him, what is your name? Now, have we heard this question before? This is the same question his father asked him, isn't it? Who is it? Who is there? And the last time, he had to lie. He had to trick. He had to manipulate. He had to strive. He had to make it happen. So he could get a blessing. So he could get what he needed. And so here comes his second chance. And he says, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. There comes a place with us where we must admit that in our hearts, we are Jacob. We have to come to a place where we say, you're right. I have been wrestling with you. I don't want your plan for my life. I'm not sure if I trust you. I like being in control. Who likes to ride in cars? Not driving cars, riding cars. Anybody? Good. Okay. Who likes to be on the wheel? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't let anyone drive. Is You just hush. It is painful, okay? When you're with me in the car, here's my steering wheel. You can have that steering wheel, okay, like the radio. You, you know, you want to, you know, turn that dial until your heart's content. You know, if you want to feel, you know, in control, right, there you go. I, I want to be behind the wheel. I want to have my future, in, you, know, in, in, you know, in my hands, not in their hands, okay? There has to come a point where we acknowledge, we say, you know what? I've been trying to appease you. I've been trying to give you that radio dial. I've been trying, hey, hey, you know what, you know what, you know, I respect you, I love you, God, here's the radio, you can put it anywhere you want, just keep it quiet. 
That's your wheel. Here's my wheel. But we have to come to a place where we acknowledge what we're doing. We say, you know what? I'm done. You're right. I've spent my entire life trying to control you, trying to get what I want from you, and trying to have the life that I want. If any of you guys have had really stinky friendships or marriages, it's because you were in a marriage where someone in it was just trying to get what they wanted out of you. Or you were trying to get what you wanted out of them. This is not the relationship that God has desired to set up with us. The entire point of the tithe was to get us to acknowledge that we have nothing, that no matter how hard we work, everything comes from him. To yield, to take the hands off the wheel. Say, you know what, I'm probably safer if you drive, Jesus. And so there comes a place where we have to acknowledge this. So what happens here, after he acknowledges, he says, you know what, my name is Jacob. I am the one who meddles and tricks and strives and deceives. I'm the one who insists on having control. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. What's so funny with God is he always calls us things that we're not. He didn't overcome God, right? I mean, like, again, he's the one, we you know, with the bad hip, okay? Have you ever been hurting your hip before? Anybody? I mean, like, you're not doing much of wrestling at all, okay? I mean, like, if your hip is out of socket, you're not going to beat, you know, your mom, you know, at wrestling, okay? You are, you are, yeah. And so what happens with us is when we come to the place where we begin to submit our wills and acknowledge what's going on, that's when he begins to raise us up as, you know what, you are an overcomer. You are exactly everything you strove to be, but not because of what you've done, but because of who I've called you to be. So what happens here, the surrendered mentality, it looks like this. You get everything, and I get whatever you choose. We choose to give over 100% control and power over our freedom, fulfillment, and future, trusting that he knows best. The fully surrendered life says that I obey because there's nothing that I want but you. Meaning I'm not married to you because of what I get out of it. I'm married to you because I like you. We choose to obey because relationship with him is the greatest blessing. This is what it looks like when we acknowledge that Jesus is our portion. If I have him, I don't need anything else in my life. The fully surrendered life, it says I am blessed because of whose I am. If I keep holding on to you and being who you say I am, I'll have everything I need and more. The tithing mentality says I am blessed because of what I do. The fully surrendered life says I am blessed because of whose I am. It's not about anything I do. I'm blessed because of you. Here's how we're going to end. If you guys have your Bibles on, and could you guys go to Romans chapter 10? You've all heard this passage, but I want to put it into this context. Romans chapter 10. I want to read the Message Bible for you guys. Again, it's, it's something we've all heard before. You guys have all heard this. I'm, I'm sure if, if, you, if you guys, uh, when you received Christ, you were told to confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, and to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. 
The one thing about lordship is what? There only gets to be one lord. Wouldn't you love for there to be like this, you know, you know, just you can be king and I can be king too. You know, I mean, like, wouldn't that be a great relationship? You know, you get to be king over them, you know, over those people. I get to be king over my life. The way that we enter into, into this new relationship with God is by acknowledging that what is most valuable, that what means most is him. And so what happens here in Romans is this. What happens in Romans the way that we enter into relationship with God, again, the way that things are made right, when we confess Jesus as Lord, as King, what we are doing is we are giving him back his seat that was always his. What we're doing is we're going back to the Garden of Eden and saying, you know what, I should never have eaten of that tree. It's not my place to judge what is right and what is wrong. It's not my place to be in control of my life. That is your place. What happens in the kingdom of God whenever we receive Jesus as King and Lord is we allow things to be made right again. And once he becomes the King, once it's his job to direct us and to take the steering wheel of our lives, now everything in our lives gets to be about just being with him. When you're the passenger in the car, well, once you chill out and stop, you know, stressing out, it's a lot easier for the passenger to kind of relax, take a nap, enjoy the radio. I mean, right, I mean... Control freaks are like, no, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> that's not relaxing at all. But if you can get past the control freak part, that's when you get to actually enjoy a drive. Oh, okay, I'm just going to relax, take a nap. It gets back to being, not doing. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and head on up here. So here in Romans, here's what it says to us in the Message Bible. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's what salvation is. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Would you guys stand this morning? So it's beautiful, you know, the, the phrase cut, you know, the, the idea that you can get your cut out of it. You know, if you were to, to, to go in on investment with someone else and you were to make money, that person's to get their cut of the profit, Right? Well, that all goes back to the idea of sacrifices. So God gets this cut of the bull, and I get this cut of the bull. This is his, and this is mine. And what communion is, it's God showing us what cut is ours. His son is the cut that we get. He says, you know what? I'll give you what really matters most to me. Here, you can have him. And I get you. Do you see it? Do you see that? I just want to invite you guys all to, we're going to take a minute to close out this morning.